Well, please uh, take your Bibles and or your, your bulletin, pages 10 and 11, turn to 1 Peter, excuse me, 1 John and, and chapter 2. We have come through chapter 1 and we'll summarize that in just a moment, but we want to now turn into the second chapter, to verses 3 through 6 for this week's sermon. 1 John, chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Let us pray. This morning, O Lord, we bow before you. You alone are great. You alone are righteous and true. You alone can be trusted. You are the one who has given us life and new life in Jesus Christ. You have sent your Son, parting with him for our benefit. And we have gathered here today because of you. Be our teacher and guide, we pray. Open our eyes to things that will help us this week. And receive our thanks, even as we begin. For you have accomplished all things for our benefit. And you have promised that when you begin a good work in us, you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Now, just to briefly provide some context and some setting for our sermon this morning, let's be reminded that we have looked in chapter 1 at a description of Christianity that's now going to sweep across three books and includes also his gospel and the book of Revelation. And he begins with not a code of ethics or a series of teachings or even the miracles. He begins with a person. The first word, ho, that which was from the beginning, the one. That's what this is about. Christianity is about Christ. Christianity is the main, he's the main thing in what we're about. And this book, this letter to his friends, the beloved ones he's writing to, so, so close to him that he doesn't even use their names or describe them personally because he understands that they know him and he knows them. The foundation of that relationship is Christ. And everything that he's going to say is on that basis. He has a relationship with Jesus, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Risen One, and what, he's going, what follows is going to come from that. He then has gone on to say that he was in himself an eyewitness. So what he's got to convey to them is not based on what he's heard or on conjecture or on what was passed down to him by others. He saw this himself. He failed in front of Christ. He trusted in front of Christ. He was at the cross. He was at the grave. And so he goes on to say, um, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and, with our ha- and which our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life, 
He is that word of life. This life appeared, and we have seen it, and we testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. This is about Jesus. This isn't, as we get to the application of some of these things, it isn't about us, it's about Him. And we're talking about whatever we have to say follows from Him who was revealed. Implicit in this is the background knowledge that we would know nothing without Him. And any certainty that we have as we're going to get into this idea of knowing and serving Any certainty that we have is only because we have been told about it. The only reason we know anything about him or anything about the universe is because he has revealed it to us. He has made it a part of his plan and purpose to tell us about it. So this book is not the basis of a committee's work. It's not the result of many church councils and decisions and decrees and dogmas. It is the revealed Word of God. And what we have here, therefore, carries enormous weight. Because without it, we would just be arguing among ourselves. And we would have nothing of what he emphasizes repeatedly here, beginning in verse 3. Fellowship. We proclaim all of this to you, what we have seen, what has been revealed to us, so that you may have fellowship with us, koinonia. That is, that which results from very different people with very different perspectives coming together. Kind of like in one service on Sunday morning. If we took a survey and asked what time you'd like to start, I'm sure we'd have a wide range of opinions. But koinonia is about coming together in spite of personal preferences or differences that might ordinarily lead to dissolution of relationship. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, the purpose of his coming, in part, so that you may have fellowship with us, so that we may be one as a body, even though we are obviously apart because I'm writing to you. And so that you might have fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this so that our joy, your joy, may be complete. And then last week as Kevin spoke on the subject, he introduces the the tension of sin the problem of a lack of integrity and brokenness. And he says in many different places, many different times here, over and over again, for example, verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. (coughs) Verse 1 of chapter 2, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So we have a living fellowship, a fellowship that includes not just the other people in this room and other Christians that we know, but it is a living fellowship with our intercessor and our advocate at the right hand of the Father who is connected to us even right now because he had a vital interest in us. He doesn't say, well, I've been there and I've done that and I'm over with it. He says, I continue to be the one who is connected to them. I want to be connected to them. And I have purified them from all sin. Now, 
These are the facts. Christianity is about Christ. We know nothing unless he reveals it to us. We have fellowship because of his work on the cross. Fellowship with one another and fellowship with God. But how then, what do we do as as a result? We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. We're talking now about this matter of fellowship. And as you see in the outline, it is a key theme. Such fellowship is only possible, as I say, in and through the work of God in Christ. I I believe I've said that. Let's lay that down as an axiom. Fellowship with one another can only be maintained, can only be begun, because we have something in common with Christ. And so it's something of a triangle. The vertical edge, this way, you and me. But unless there is a connection up the sides, to the top, to Christ, then this connection breaks down. It is meant to be a, con- a connection of several parties. You, me, Christ. Secondly, when we encounter sin, it does not undo the work of Christ, for he is our advocate, but it can alter our relationship with him. Sin, is, as Kevin said last week, is a serious problem. It touches everything. It causes brokenness. And it is the explanation for all of the pain in this world. That and Satan's influence. But this fellowship with God is also based upon certain knowledge, certain things that we know. And he says, now, a beginning, I'm persuaded by the outline that John Stott gives in the book of 1 John. Uh, I I believe he's, John is applying a series of tests to the people. Most famously, of course, one of the most famous verses in 1 John is in chapter 4. He says, Dear friends, verse 1, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. It seems to me that we are getting now, we're moving into a section after the introduction where John is applying certain tests to this fellowship, certain tests to this relationship. And this is the first of them. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that? Only because we've been told. This verse starts the same way that Romans 8.28 starts. We know that in all things God works together for good for those who are called to... How do we know that? We don't know it. In fact, most of the time we struggle with understanding that verse because it doesn't look like it's true at all. It looks like one thing after another is falling apart and that no good can come of it. The only way we know it is because we're told. That's the certainty that we have. That's the revelation. That's our epistemological foundation. We are told. And we know that we have come to know him on this basis. Not because of a church council, not because John just thinks this is true. We know it because it's been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit through his word. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. And so this is the first or moral test. We are to know that we know him, first of all. You can know him. We have come to know him. We can know God. Now think of that. The almighty, eternal creator. Unchangeable, perfectly just, righteous, and true. 
has deigned to become our friend and to reveal himself to us in a relationship, as a friendship, what he calls a fellowship. He has opened our eyes and our hearts to something real. Not just a series of statements and propositions about what's right and what's wrong, but an active and living relationship symbolized in its highest form by Christ's continual intercession for us right now. He is interested in you. And you can come to know him. Not just about him, not just the facts in general, but to know him in your heart. And so it's assumed in verse 3, we have come, and we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Not just superficial acquaintance or personal, but it is indeed personal acquaintance and intimacy. And he goes on to say, verse 4, The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. So it's possible to make a false claim, as he has said so often so far. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his words, God's love is truly made complete in him, as we shall see. So the teaching is that we are to know that we are his, that we belong to him. That we are, uh, as it says in verse 6, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Now, Paul's writings and John's writings are very different on the surface, but they get to the same underlying meaning. And this concept of being in Christ is foundational and everywhere in the writings of Paul. Less so in John's writing, but the same concept is here. We know we are in him, verse 3. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So this is not just an acquaintance. This is not just a personal relationship. And it's not even just an intimate relationship of friendship. It is a positional relation. It is a real, vital connection. I am the vine. You are the branches, Jesus said. We are connected We don't always feel that way. Sometimes God seems far away, remote, disinterested, hard to find. But we are told in the scriptures that such impressions are not accurate. We know, this is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Assumed is this connection vital and life-giving between Jesus and his people. More even than the shepherd and the sheep, but the vine and the branches. Vital connection. Without the vine, the branches die. There is no life apart from connection to him. However, this relationship is organized under a certain excuse me, a certain rubric, then this is the first test. The foundation of this knowledge is the validity of our knowledge of him is whether we respond to his teachings. Now, we just said that Christianity is not about the teachings of Christ just alone. It's about the person of Christ and his work. But he has said, and these are echoes of his own words, 
that if we love him, we will obey him. And so this is one of three tests that John lists in chapter 2, the only one for which we have time this morning. Examine your conduct, he says. Do you obey his commands? Either you do or you don't. Now, in answering that question, of course, nobody perfectly obeys his commands. That's been covered earlier in this matter of sin. So what's he asking? He's not saying, are, are you always and forever obeying his commands? Although that would be what Jesus did. He's saying, is it your habit? Is it your inclination? Is it your difficult decision to say yes to what he asks? Examine your conduct. Christianity is a relationship. It's based on a certain amount of feeling, but it's also based on a response to a covenant in which the Lord, as the initiator of the covenant, does almost everything, but he asks that we respond in faith. It means, as they say in the bottom of page uh, 10, that I am concerned to be living the Christian life as fully as I can, with integrity. Now, he's been going over this. This isn't the first time this has come up even already. Uh, if, if we claim to be without sin, uh, or if we claim we have not sinned, if we make him out to be a liar because we ourselves are, are, are false with him, then the, the great object is to be well-pleasing in his sight, just as Jesus said. This is an exact echo of the words of Jesus. We find it in the verses I referenced there, where Jesus said, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. So Jesus says this is still relational in its base and foundation, but the way the relationship gets expressed is by obedience and response of trusting faith. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Now this is clear. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, doesn't know him. Well, yes, I know him. I, you know, I, I'm just not doing what he says. No, he says, there's something very crucial here. The truth is not in you. If you do, if you say you love him and you do not do what he commands. But if everyone, anyone does obey his words, then God's love is truly made complete in him. Now, life is complicated. And we obey sometimes enthusiastically, sometimes less so. He's the test of that. He's the judge of these things. But what he's saying quite clearly is, I mean what I say. And I want you to do as I say. I really do. I'm not just spouting off words and giving regulations for you to come under the discipline of knowing and obeying. I really want you to listen to me and to do as I say. Now often we hear such words from tyrants and from 
uh, people who just like to hear themselves talk and who like the uh, exercise of rules because it puts other people down. And so therefore we put Jesus many times into this category and say, well, it's just not fair. I'm going to be selective in my obedience. But there's no selectivity here. Nor is there any meanness, tyranny, or oppression. His commandments are true and righteous altogether. They're only good. They're only right. Oh, you say I should obey my parents, but my, my father's a scoundrel. I'm sure he's heard that a million times. He hasn't amended the fifth commandment. The application of his word is a living thing, and he even calls it something of a walk or a life. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him, verse 6, must walk as Jesus did. And so, the characterization from Enoch in the Old Testament, as I give you the references, through Abraham, through Jesus. Jesus said, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. The characterization of this obedience is not the perfect keeping of a certain set of rules, but it is a walk. It is a life. It is a, a living relationship that over time in which we sometimes obey and sometimes don't. But if we're not even struggling to try, if we're not even seeking to obey, then we're out of the game and on the bench or in some strained relationship with him. He's not going to give up on us. He's not going to turn away from us any more than he turned away from Jonah when Jonah did not obey, or from David when David did not obey. He's not going to give up on us, but he is going, there will be a strain. There will be, there will be tension between us. Because I mean what I say. And if you love me, this is how I know it. This is how I know if you care about me back. I've sent my son. He died upon the cross. He gave himself for you. He has risen again. He has cared for you. I have sent you the Holy Spirit. I've given you the creation. I've given you all of the blessings of life. And this is what I want back. And you know, it really isn't for my sake. It really isn't for his welfare. He is completely self-existent. He doesn't need money, health, or any relationship because he has perfect relationship with the Spirit and the Son. He doesn't need anybody. He doesn't have to enlarge that circle. It's a beautiful fellowship that's existed from all eternity. He doesn't need us in any way, but he wants to. Therefore, he creates at least three tests. This is the first. I want you to obey me. If you say you are in him, then walk as he walked, and as his people walked through the centuries. I have set you an example, Jesus said. What does this obedience look like? At least two things. Humility. When I obey anyone, I am submitting. And Jesus voluntarily put himself, you know, under the law. 
He submitted to the law. In that sense, he was obedient to the cross. Obedient to the terms of our, sanct- of, of our redemption. And whenever we obey, we are like him. We submit. Fundamentally, obedience is submission. We can think of another way. We prefer another way. But when we obey, we submit. We humble ourselves. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And secondly, when we obey, we are not touching into the second test. We are compassionate, sympathetic. We are giving. We are loving back. We are doing that which is unnatural to us because of our own sinful hearts and our bent towards selfishness. We are saying, okay. Now, we're not unfamiliar with this if we have family with toward parents, toward brothers and sisters, towards children, towards spouses. We know what it is when we'd rather not, and yet we do. So the first test of whether we know Christ is whether we obey his commands. When the teacher says, in the class says, what's going to be on the test tomorrow? Some teachers will say what it is, and some teachers won't. This teacher has. What's on the test tomorrow? Do you obey me? Simple as that. Not expecting perfection. Only Jesus was capable of that. I understand that you're broken in sin, but will you obey me or not? Now, that's an easy question to answer. But it's a very difficult question to carry out. Oh, yes, on Sunday I will obey you, but Tuesday and Wednesday I don't feel like it. I've been hurt. Other people haven't obeyed you, and I don't like it. But we answer not to them, we answer to him. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. Very stark. Very strong language. And the truth is not in him. I tell you, it's a sobering passage. I've been limp uh, all week about thinking what, uh, in what ways I still fail to obey him. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. He takes what little obedience we have, what we offer in response by faith and trust, and he completes it. He explodes it. He makes it something really worthwhile. God's love is truly made complete in him. And this is how we know we are in him. For whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did, which was fundamentally a life of humble submission and obedience. So Paul says he was obedient unto death, even death on the cross. So what's the application? 
You cannot receive the life of Christ without becoming like him. You see, this is, not just the, this is not just the test of an adversary. This is one who says, if you want to be like me, then you must walk as I did. And I invite you in. I invite you to take this pathway. You cannot walk with God without keeping his commandments, which are his word. And you cannot know God without loving him. So when it comes down to it, when he says that he wants us to obey him and we see that we neither, either need to obey or not, the answer is, do I love him or not? That's the, that's the fundamental question. It's not a question of will at, at, at the foundation. It's a question of desire and relationship, of submission. Do you know that you love him? One of the tests, the first test which John mentions is obedience. Does your life show that you do? Well, we know what's going to be on the test. And we know how he will judge us to some extent. And we also know we can't do it. The standard's too high. And the calling is too great. This is very simple, really. Either you do or you don't, but... We don't. We haven't. And we can't, apart from his grace. A grace that is fed and nourished by a steady word of the God and the spirit of God and prayer and the sacraments. Coming to the Lord's table to say to him, please help us, Lord, at this table so that we may know and receive the strength that we need in order to obey you. We get this from prayer. We get this encouragement from others who we see obeying the Lord. And we get it from the sacrament. So let's come eager today. Eager to receive the power which will enable us to obey. It is available nowhere else. Shall we bow together? It is stunning to us, Lord, that you could so perfectly obey your Father in the little things and in the big one. That all your life was given over to submission and compassion. That everything you did was characterized by a desire to please the Father. We are so unlike you. We want to please ourselves. We want what we want with our limited perspective. We think we know best. And so we justify our disobedience in a thousand ways. But we were reminded again this morning that there's no escape from your standards. And so we thank you that the Son perfectly kept this law. And that through him, as we seek to walk and live in him by faith, that we too can have new obedience and power to live in a submissive way. Use our time at the table this day, O Lord, we pray, 
to fortify our faith and strengthen our resolve and enable us to not just have good intentions, but to cross the line from death to life, from disobedience to obedience. Through Christ our Lord we ask it. Amen.